Biden's Afghanistan catastrophe is worse than you think it is. And you've probably seen all the videos and pictures on the news. I know, by the way, at the onset here, I know that it was Bush that got us into Afghanistan. It was Obama that made it worse. Trump promised to pull out of Afghanistan, but didn't do it. But make no mistake, it is all on Joe Biden's head that he's the one pulling out of Afghanistan. He's the one who could stop this, and he's not. To be honest, I'm, I'm over here sick to my stomach watching the Taliban take over Afghanistan. I used to work for a veteran advocacy company before I got into politics and media. And most of my coworkers, the vast majority of my coworkers, uh, were military veterans who were in the thick of the action in both Iraq and Afghanistan. And when I see these videos and I see these photos of what's happening in Afghanistan, uh, all that comes to my mind is I keep thinking of them and their buddies who served and sacrificed and died over there. And then watching the Biden administration essentially just hand it all away to jihadists makes me absolutely sick. I'm also thinking about the women and the children of Afghanistan. Soon these women will be under Sharia law again. Can you imagine? I actually can't fathom the fear that these women feel, knowing that they're very likely to be raped and killed in a matter of hours or days for the so-called crime of being journalists and politicians and activists. Again, all in violation of the Taliban's version of Sharia law. Again, sick to my stomach. Joe Biden is the most heartless man in America. And don't get me wrong, I understand the sentiment of not wanting everlasting wars. Okay, fine. But if we are engaged in a war, for God's sake, win it. And then it won't be everlasting. I do not get politicians who are willing to prolong it, but not decisively win it. What's the point? Why even be there then? I would rather that we claim Afghanistan as a U.S. territory and stay there forever than give it back to the Taliban like we are. Why does everyone hate imperialism anyway? I know we also can't blame it solely on the Afghan troops. I know they ran away. They were unwilling to fight. And there's a lot of people pointing fingers at the men of Afghanistan. Sure, I get that. They're certainly at fault, too, in addition to the United States. But the U.S. has had an ongoing military presence in Italy, in Germany, in Japan, since the wars there. Why? To make sure that's what's happening in Afghanistan doesn't happen anywhere else. Think about Germany after World War I. We didn't have a military presence, and what happened? The Nazi regime rose out of the dust. Biden pulling the United States out of Afghanistan was obviously going to lead to exactly what is happening right now. It's exactly what happened in Iraq when Biden was in charge of the Iraq war during the Obama administration and Biden and Obama pulled out, which led to the rise of ISIS. Joe Biden is committing the most horrific, preventable foreign policy disaster in modern history in Afghanistan. I'm Liz Wheeler. Welcome to The Liz Wheeler Show. What the Taliban is doing right now in Kabul is horrific. There's no other word for it. And the global repercussions of what's happening in Afghanistan, even putting aside the horror that the Afghani people are suffering, the global repercussions are going to be enormous. And the left and the mainstream media will not talk about it. We will. But first, I want to talk about trust and will. We all know that we need one. But most of us, to be honest, put off creating a trust or a will because it either sounds complex, it's expensive, it's intimidating, we don't want to face our own mortality. Well, we don't have to. At trustandwill.com, setting up an estate plan is simple, it's convenient, and it's secure. For as little as $39, you can nominate guardians for your children. You can determine who gets your stuff in the event of your death, and you can plan for future medical care all from the comfort of your home. That means 
You don't have to hire a traditional estate attorney. You don't have to deal with a one-size-fits-all template that's not specialized enough for your needs. Trust and will documents are designed by estate planning experts, but they're customized for the state you live in. And with live customer support seven days a week, trustandwill.com's team is available to answer any questions you have while setting up your plan. Trust and Will is the most trusted name in online estate planning. They've helped hundreds of thousands of people protect their families, protect their assets, protect their legacy. So gain peace of mind at trustandwill.com slash Liz and get 10% off plus free shipping of your customized legal documents. This is really important. Get 10% off plus free shipping at my URL, trustandwill.com slash Liz. Trustandwill.com slash Liz. You'll be glad you did. It's the responsible thing to do. Did you ever think that we would hear the name the Islamic Emirates of Afghanistan? Let that sink in. The Islamic Emirates of Afghanistan. That is what the Taliban has dubbed what was formerly Afghanistan. They're imposing Sharia law right now. There are reports from the ground in Kabul that the Taliban fighters are conducting door-to-door searches for journalists, politicians, activists, Afghan police forces and former military. And the Taliban claims they want to get along cooperatively, but why would you conduct a door-to-door search for these people if you didn't intend to harm and or kill them? In towns and cities outside of Af- outside of Kabul, I should say, in Afghanistan, there are reports similarly that the Taliban is imposing child marriages, forced marriages on people, and that they are conducting executions. Bagram Air Force Base. 5,000 jihadis who've been imprisoned there for the past 20 years have been freed. The Taliban has seized U.S. war equipment, which you have to wonder now, is the Taliban going to use that against U.S. forces or are they going to just send that directly to Iran so that the Iranians get U.S. weapons? Including, by the way, helicopters. U.S. helicopters are now in the control, are now in control of the Taliban. So the United States presence in Kabul at the embassy, at the U.S. embassy, it was evacuated so rapidly that reportedly the employees were instructed to burn the U.S. flag in order to avoid the Taliban taking possession of it and then using it for Taliban propaganda, jihadi propaganda. Have you ever heard of anything so awful? This is the same embassy, by the way, that flew the pride flag in June under the Biden administration. Biden was more worried about Pride Month than he was about the resurgence of the Taliban, which was predictable. It has been predictable. There's been warning signs of this for months and months based on actions taken by the Biden administration. The photographs of the interpreters and other members of the Afghan people who have helped the United States over the past 20 years are heart-wrenching. These are, I mean, it's like Saigon. These are people grabbing onto the bottom of military aircraft, U.S. military aircraft, dying, trying to leave Afghanistan because they know they face certain death at the hands of the Taliban. The line for emergency visas, it was absolutely overrun. And the United States is just leaving these people who helped us in Afghanistan to their death. There's been only something like 2,000 out of 88,000 people who helped us, emergency visas, evacuated from Afghanistan. Why would anybody the world over ever help us again? Why would anyone ever trust us again? This is a photo. Look at the photo of the line for emergency visas. Why weren't these processed in time? And now again, reports are that not only is this closed down, but U.S. workers actually burned the passports and remaining records. So everybody there has zero identification, zero chance of being evacuated, even if they did help us and claimed to. They have no proof, no documentation. They are stuck. They're facing their death. And by the way, before the airport 
closed down completely, the airlines were still requiring a COVID-19 test for anybody trying to leave the country. And yet the Secretary of State, Blinken, claims that this is not Saigon. Take a listen to this, it's outrageous. There were those of us who warned that this would happen in Afghanistan if Joe Biden was elected president. And I know that last year during campaigns and during elections, everyone was focused very inwardly on our country. And, and that's fine, right? We're, it's fine to first care about domestic issues, but this has reverberations the world over and it does and it will impact us domestically. But we warned that Joe Biden was a disaster on foreign policy because we've seen that in action. Joe Biden was vice president for eight years before he was president, and Joe Biden was at the helm of the Iraq war. Obama, when he was president, put Biden, his vice president, in charge. And Biden did exactly what he's doing in Afghanistan, in Iraq. Even, okay, so I read, I read the book of General James Mattis, and I know, I don't agree with how he came out and criticized Trump as commander-in-chief when he was at the Department of Defense. I don't agree with what he did, and I don't agree with how he did it, and I don't agree with what he said. However, in his book, you have to read the chapter on how Biden handled Iraq because Mattis says that when he was in charge of Iraq, Biden came over to visit and Mattis told him that the United States should not support Prime Minister of Iraq, Maliki, because he was not trustworthy. Biden did it anyway. He overruled Mattis. Mattis said he also warned Biden not to withdraw all the troops from Iraq all at once, but to use training wheels. Otherwise, there would be a, a vacuum. This is what Mattis said. Quote, we should slowly inch the wheels up, allowing the Iraqis to wobble but not crash as they slowly pedal down the path to self-sufficiency. If we pulled out too early, I noted, we would have to bring our troops back in. Biden also ignored that and pulled our troops out. And what happened, this is what Mattis concludes, quote, it would take many years and tens of thousands of casualties, plus untold misery for millions of innocents to break ISIS's geographic hold. All of this was predicted and preventable. Never forget that Barack Obama and Joe Biden pulled troops out of Iraq prematurely just to try to score this electoral PR win here in the United States. And the result was the rise of ISIS. You pull your presence out of Iraq, ISIS takes over in that power vacuum. We're seeing that happen again. Deja vu in Afghanistan with Biden. Meanwhile, Biden, by the way, at Camp David on vacation, didn't address this for the longest time possibly betraying Intel community members and locations, assets around the world. Take a look at this picture. He tweeted this picture that says, this morning, the president and vice president met with their national security team and senior officials to hear updates on the drawdown of our civilian personnel in Afghanistan, evacuations of visa applicants and other Afghan allies and the ongoing security situation in Kabul. Security situation, that's what we're calling it. A security situation when the Taliban is literally taking over the country. Okay, but look at that screen. Those people's faces should not be appearing on that screen on Twitter. This is classified information that could lead to their harm or to their death or to the death of other assets and allies. And yet Biden 
tweeting a picture to try to make himself look powerful. Anything but. Biden's foreign policy record so far has been a series of unmitigated disasters. Unmitigated disasters. Look at Israel. Because the Biden administration is buddy-buddying up to Iran, Iran felt free to shoot rockets into Israel. China, taking advantage of the United States on COVID-19. Biden, doing nothing about it. The southern border, overrun with migrants. Many of whom, by the way, are positive for COVID-19. Gang members, drug cartels, some on the terror watch list. And now this, giving Afghanistan back to the Taliban. But this is the part, by the way, that the mainstream media and the left won't talk about. The global repercussions, the reverberations around the world that I mentioned at the beginning of this show. This is the big kicker. The message to hostile nations around the world. Think about Taiwan, for example. What is this kind of behavior? These choices, what's happening in Afghanistan because of Biden, what does this say to the Taiwanese people? Moreover, what does this say to the Chinese communists? It says Hong Kong was just a taste. It says if you're a hostile nation, a communist nation, a dictator, an authoritarian, and you want to oppress people, meh. The United States, not our business. We're not going to help you. We probably won't stand up for your freedom or support you in fighting for your freedom. This is not hypothetical. Unfortunately, this is not hypothetical. In a commentary directed at Hong Kong, China's state-run, their propaganda network, it's called the Global Times, literally cited Afghanistan. Why? As a signal to democracy activists in Hong Kong not to heed promises from America that they will stand by Hong Kong. And you know what? China's state-run media propaganda isn't incorrect. Because what the United States, and by the United States, I mean Joe Biden, what Joe Biden is doing in Afghanistan right now is sending that exact message. We're not here to win. We won't decisively defeat a poisonous ideology. We will use you and abuse you and make promises and we won't keep them and then we'll leave you in the dust to face death at the hands of the Taliban and Sharia law. That is the Joe Biden doctrine and it's horrible. Compare that to like the Reagan doctrine, for example. Think about how Ronald Reagan handled the Cold War, how he handled the Soviet strategy. And I think actually that this is especially um, important given the fact, and this, it is true, by the way, that the Afghan military has essentially surrendered. It is true that the men of Afghanistan didn't have the courage to fight, to go to their death fighting for the freedom of their women and children. That is true. I'm not denying that. I think the U.S. is still wrong to leave, but I'm not denying the cowardice of many members of the Afghan military. But the thing is, when Ronald Reagan defeated the Soviets during the Cold War, he did so essentially by defeating the ideology. He debunked the socialist ideology to the Russian people. And that helped undermine the, Soviet, undermine the Soviet regime. In order to defeat a radical jihadist, and perhaps that's redundant, of course, to defeat a jihadist ideology in Afghanistan, it's a long game. You have to defeat the ideology. You have to, in a sense, teach about freedom. You have to make sure that this people that these people are hungry for liberty, that they have uh, this killer instinct, if you will, to fight against the Taliban, to protect their individual rights. Defeating an ideology is a long game. 
it's not an endless war. And there's, it's a very different thing. A long game and an endless war are very different. And to stop an existing war, the solution to that is to win it, not to abandon it. Joe Biden is doing no such thing. In fact, that is why I almost singularly blame Joe Biden. And by the way, remember at this time that Donald Trump, we are told, is too dangerous to be on Twitter. Biden is safer, a more moderate, common sense, back to normalcy type of candidate and presidency. Well, under Joe Biden, because of Joe Biden, guess who is on Twitter right now? The official Twitter account of the spokesman of the Islamic Emirates of Afghanistan. Taliban propaganda is on Twitter and Donald Trump is not allowed on Twitter. Can you even imagine if any of this had happened under the Trump administration? The media would have gone wild. So there was an underreported, a really truly awful article um, by the Associated Press. And it's not the fault of the Associated Press, actually. It's not a biased article. What I mean is it reports truly awful, horrible information. And you'd think it would have made a big splash, but it didn't. It got barely any notice. Um, it's about measures that the Biden administration discussed to force people to get vaxxed, and it's truly shocking. We're going to talk about that in a second, but first I want to talk about ExpressVPN. So we all know by now that a VPN protects your privacy and your family's security online, right? But I didn't know until recently, I learned that you can use a VPN to unlock movies and shows that are only available in other countries. It works like this. You just fire up the ExpressVPN app. You change your location to any other country, the UK, for example. You refresh your uh, media, Netflix, your streaming platform, and that's all there is to it because ExpressVPN hides your IP address and lets you control where you want sites to think you're located. So you can choose from almost 100 different countries on the ExpressVPN app. So just think about all the Netflix libraries that that opens up. It's not just Netflix either. ExpressVPN works with any streaming service, Hulu, BBC, iPlayer, YouTube, you name it. There are hundreds of VPNs out there, but in my opinion, ExpressVPN is the best because it's very, very fast. No buffering, no lag. You can stream in HD. It's also compatible with all your devices, phones, media consoles, smart TVs, and more. So if you visit my special link right now, expressvpn.com slash Liz, you can get an extra three months of ExpressVPN for free. So support the show, watch what you want, protect yourself and your family online, and get it at a good price, expressvpn.com slash Liz. You'll be glad you did. So this AP article about uh, vaccine mandates for interstate travel. Again, very overlooked article by the Associated Press reporting on discussions being had behind closed doors in the Biden administration. Um, so let's, let's start with something that they mentioned in the article. They mentioned that the Biden administration is relying on private sector mandates to coerce people into getting vaccinated. And here's what I would say, no. This is not merely a market-driven initiative. This is not something that the private industry is choosing to do themselves. In fact, the Associated Press admits that the Biden administration is pressuring businesses. This is the quote from the article. He, meaning Joe Biden, has met with business leaders at the White House to press them to do the same, meaning vaccine mandates. So it's not exactly um, of someone's own volition if the White House is inviting them to the White House to pressure them into doing a vaccine mandate. So don't fall for the idea of, don't you want the private the private sector? Don't you want the free market to dictate this? Well, yes, I do, but I don't believe it's the free market if the government is pressuring them, probably with some coercive uh, technique to do this. Don't fall for that. But this is what the article said. Quote, vaccine mandates are the right lever at the right time, said Ben Wakana, the deputy director of strategic communications and engagement for the White House COVID-19 response noting the public's increasing confidence in the vaccines and adding that it marks a new phase in the government's campaign to encourage Americans to get shots. White House officials say Biden wanted to initially operate with restraint, 
initially is probably a keyword there, initially operate with restraint to ensure that Americans were ready for the strong arming from the federal government. Oh, great. We're being conditioned. The federal moves have been carefully calibrated to encourage a wave of businesses and governments to follow suit. Still, the article reads, while more severe measures, such as mandating vaccines for interstate travel or changing how the federal government reimburses treatment for those who are unvaccinated and become ill with COVID-19, have been discussed, the administration worried that they would be too polarizing at this time. Oh, we're worried that they would simply be too politically polarizing. We're not worried that they would be severe violations of our individual liberty. You're just worried about the PR, the reaction. Good God. An administration official, the AP writes, said the interstate travel vaccination requirement was not under consideration at the moment. That's not to say they won't be implemented in the future as public opinion continues to shift towards requiring vaccinations as a means to restore normalcy. Okay, let's talk about this. So what this is called, this is called a test balloon, what the AP published here. This is a test balloon. It's in, it's designed, its intent is to prepare you and I for when the Biden administration actually does decide to drop this dictate so that we've heard about it, so that we say, oh yeah, I think I heard that they were talking about that. That's not surprising. Uh, it, it, it's not new. They're trying to desensitize us to this. To which I respond, oh hell no. This is absolutely outrageous and here is why. Where does this end? This, this is what we have to do anytime that the government takes an action. You have to make sure that it's in a box, that it's limited. So in the case of this kind of mandate, where does this end? I'm supposed to inject my six-month-old baby, and make no mistake, by the way, they are well on their way to approving this vaccine for tots and babies. So I'm supposed to inject my six-month-old baby, or else she can never see her grandparents in another state? There's a name for this. It's called medical tyranny. I will never comply with this. The only comparison of how completely this obliterates people's freedom is China where the Chinese Communist Party will kill dissidents and harvest their organs. You remember this, this is happening to the Uyghurs. Harvest their organs, forcibly hold down women to commit abortions in the name of the greater good, in the name of unity. Medical freedom is freedom. Without it, we, our freedom is gone, we're done. So when they say not under consideration at the moment, yeah, right. Can you imagine hospitals refusing medical treatment to you if you're unvaccinated? We're teetering on that line right now. If the Biden administration, this is what they're discussing, they say, if the Biden administration refuses to reimburse hospitals for unvaccinated patients, or they make that reimbursement so small that it's not worth it for hospitals, that will become a litmus test for hospital care. And no, I'm not overreacting here. If you don't believe that the government's exploiting COVID-19 as an emergency in order to justify suspending your rights, well, then think of public school. You probably went there. Public schools have spent 50 years indoctrinating youth into believing that America's bad and government's good for a moment just such as this. When government officials overstep their bounds and the American people says, oh, thank goodness they're here to take care of me. The truth of the matter is, I know this sounds harsh, but we have a very compliant, a mushy citizenry. It's embarrassing. Just think about the people on bicycles wearing two masks as they work out. Parents making toddlers wrap their faces in absurd, dirty face masks. Why? Because some idiot government bureaucrat said so. They just said so and people complied. What happened to live free or die? So this weekend, I went to get a new phone and the T-Mobile store near me was closed. They had a sign on their door. It was literally a piece of printer paper with a black Sharpie that said closed due to staff shortages. Why is that? Because lazy youth 
this compliant citizenry that I'm talking about would rather collect unemployment than work. They don't care if it makes them beholden to tyrannical government. Again, not to invoke too many points of history here, but what happened to dumping tea in the harbor when the tyrant King George tried to control us with taxation? Government officials are corrupt. If they have power to abuse, they will. It's not a matter of if, it's just a matter of when. The only reason Biden thinks that he can get away with discussing vaccine mandates for interstate travel is because the Biden administration thinks that people will let them get away with it. Because so far, we have. Because we've allowed our citizenry to be indoctrinated that America's not that good and government officials are here to help. And so these same government officials who are corrupt and will abuse their power will continue to abuse it until we refuse to comply. And so what can you do? What can you do? Instead of sitting here and just feeling like your freedoms are being violated, feeling like these politicians are abusing their power, what action can you take? I will tell you. There is legislation right now in the United States Congress that would force airlines in the United States, domestic airlines, to impose vaccine mandates. It's called H.R. 4980. This is the title of the bill. Of course, as you know, and this goes back to the administrative state that we talk about all the time, um, legislators don't like to do their own jobs. They like to defer that so that they have no responsibility for it. So what they do is they introduce a bill without actually introducing the text of the bill. You might remember this happened when AOC initially introduced the Green New Deal. She just introduced this idea, this two or three page idea of her Green New Deal. And it had such horrific ideas in it that she was forced to pull that down before she put the full text of the bill up there. Um, some of the ideas I think were banning cow flatulence and abolishing air travel and you know taxing people that eat meat and all kinds of crazy crazy stuff. We'll just say crazy stuff. Um, but anyway, this is what this is what members of Congress do. They post bills, they post pieces of legislation without any details, just the idea of it, the vague idea. That's what HR 4980 does. This is the title of it, the point of it. Quote, to direct the Secretary of Homeland Security to ensure that any individual traveling on a flight that departs from or arrives to an airport inside the United States or a territory of the United States is fully vaccinated against COVID-19 and for other purposes. End quote. Yes, this could become federal law. It is introduced in the United States Congress right now. And as of now, that is where it sits. Who was it introduced by, you might ask? Well, Congressman Richie Torres of New York. So people, flood his phone lines. Tell him firmly and politely and respectfully and in no uncertain terms, no on this bill. Absolutely not on HR 4980. We do not want a domestic vaccine mandate for airlines. Flood his phone lines, call his office, write to him, make sure that this is taken off, that this is removed, that this is revoked, that this does not become law. That's what you can do. That is what you can do and what you should do. Meanwhile, American Express, I don't know if anybody has an American Express card, but if so, I'd probably get rid of it, and here's why. American Express was caught by my friend Chris Rufo conducting uh, critical race theory training for their employees, and this was a particularly, I don't even want to say a particularly egregious example, because it's all egregious. This one just, we have all the information of exactly what was happening. So in this training that was conducted for American Express employees, the employees were told to rank themselves on a hierarchy of privilege hierarchy of privilege. And this privilege was based on their intersectional identities, it was called. So they were told to map their race, their sexual orientation, their body type, their religion, disability status, age, gender identity, and citizenship. And once they made this ranking, it, this was an official company worksheet, by the way. Can you even imagine? 
having to write down all that information on an official company worksheet. So once they had written down their hierarchy of privilege, there was a flow chart for them to follow, and it gave them specific rules about how to interact if you are privileged, how are you supposed to interact with marginalized, right? So if you're black, female, and LGBT, you were told to be treated in a certain way. If you're white, if you're straight, if you're a man, you were told to act a certain way around other people. I'll give you a concrete example of this, right? So if you are a white, straight male, you were told not to talk until a black female LGBTQ member had spoken before you. Right. You were told not to talk until someone that's so-called marginalized had spoken before you. There were literally instructions for white employees. So the white employees were told to identify, this is a quote, identify the privileges or advantages you have. Don't speak over members of the black and African-American community. And it's not about your intent, they were told. It's about the impact you have on your colleague. White employees were told that phrases like, I don't see color, we're all human beings, and everyone can succeed in this society if they work hard enough. They were told not to say these phrases because these are microaggressions, they were told. And then comes the re-education part. American Express employees were told to listen to the Beyond Prisons podcast. Beyond Prisons is exactly what it sounds like. It advocates for prison abolition. They don't want anyone to be incarcerated whatsoever. And they were told to read a series of articles, which are just classic critical race theory, classic Marxism. Um, The series of articles promises to, quote, force white people to see and understand how white supremacy permeates their lives. It also talks about how white children become racist before they can speak and how Congress should pass race-based reparations. This was conducted by a man, this training was conducted by a man called Khalil Mohammed. He was the great-grandson of the founder of the Nation of Islam. The Nation of Islam, of course, is Louis Farrakhan's uh, lovely, lovely organization. So this is, you might say, this is crazy. This is so nuts. This is critical race theory. This is the racialism that we are all fighting against in schools. It also permeates our corporate culture. And the, the irony here is that these trainings were arguing that capitalism is racist to American Express. American Express had over $2 billion of profit just in the last quarter. But capitalism is racist, the employees were told, as they're literally benefiting from capitalism. So th- this is a particularly egregious narrative coming from the left and coming from critical race theorists, coming from Marxists, I think, that um, capitalism is racist and ought to be abolished, when really capital the benefits of capitalism are so enormous, we take them all for granted every moment of every day of our lives. So let's talk about this for a second. Extreme poverty rates. That is defined globally as someone who is living on less than $2 a day. In 1820, 94% of the world's population was living in extreme poverty. 94%. Fast forward to 2015, less than 10%, only 9.6% of the world's population was living in extreme poverty. What happened in between the years 1820 and 2015? Well, the Industrial Revolution happened, of course. Global trade happened. The free market in the United States exported our prosperity and success to everyone all over the world. Between the years 1990 and 2015, over a billion people, one and a quarter billion people, escaped extreme poverty all over the world. That's 138,000 people a day all over the world because of the free market. And you can contrast that with what these Marxists, these critical race theorists, these woke socialists want to do. At the same time, the biggest socialist experiment in history, I'm talking about in China, 
Mao Zedong's great leap forward, this happened at the end of the 1950s, what happened to people there? Did their prosperity increase? Did their standard of living increase? What happened to them? Mao's socialist great leap forward killed 45 million Chinese people. Capitalism, socialism. America's capitalists, the critical race theorists, want socialism. Even though we know what socialism does, we know that socialism kills, and we know that capitalism raises formerly marginalized people out of poverty and oppression better than any other economic system in the history of the world. Why aren't we pushing back on these critical race theorists on this point alone? What do they think would happen to these marginalized people if we lived under socialism? It wouldn't be a good thing. But what these critical race theorists want is they want Marxism. They actually want a two-tier system where the so-called privileged are actually oppressed by the people that they label marginalized. They don't want equality. They don't want equality under the law. They don't want equal opportunity. They want essentially to flip history because it is true in the past, white people enslaved black people in our country. That was true. It was wrong. It's one of the, the stains on, our, on American history. But these critical race theorists don't want to understand what black people in America went through. They don't want to look at a different perspective of history. They don't want to right former wrongs. They don't want to make sure that black people aren't marginalized, aren't discriminated against, and have equal rights. No, they want none of that. They just want to flip what happened, and they want formerly marginalized people. And by the way, it's not even the actual people who were mar marginalized. It's just people who share the same immutable characteristics now as those who had those immutable characteristics back when they were marginalized for them. And they want them to oppress anybody that they, anybody that the Marxists consider to be privileged. Based again, not on your behavior, not on your actions, not on your history, but based only on immutable characteristics that you shared with people hundreds of years ago who had the same immutable characteristics who used that to oppress other people. If that sounds convoluted and ridiculous, it is. It's also communist. But that's what these people want. Speaking of intersectionality and Marxism and critical race theory, all the same thing, of course. Just in case you thought that your kids were safe from this poison, since the left, of course, claims that critical race theory is not being taught in K-12 schools, it's just being taught theoretically in law schools. No, no. Of course, that's a lie. Now, we've anecdotally proven that that was a lie many times. We've seen critical race theory um, taught in classrooms. We've seen the teachers' unions um, both the NEA and the AFT say that critical race theory is part of their agenda to be disseminated in 50 states, 14,000 school districts across the country. The AFT said that they, they will actually use finances to defend teachers who violate state laws against teaching critical race theory in school. So we know, baseline, critical race theory is there. But the founder of intersectionality, one of the founders, the scholars of critical race theory, Kimberly Crenshaw, you remember her, we've mentioned her many times, she admitted at a conference in a handout that critical race theory, the tenets of it, are being disseminated in public schools. This is what the handout reads, quote, in this channel, we will learn directly from classroom educators and education justice leaders how they have incorporated critical race theory insights, not the theory itself, into high school social studies and civics classrooms. End quote. Again, remember the differentiation that we talk about so often. There's a difference between uh, learning the theory abstractly and applying it to curriculum. Kimberly Crenshaw admits 
that the critical race theorists, the radical leftists, these woke folks, the school districts, the teachers' unions are weaving critical race theory into high school curriculum, not teaching it as an abstract theory. They are weaving it into the curriculum. So all I can say about that is, duh, we told you that that was happening, and it's happening everywhere. What's happening at American Express is not an isolated incident. This is a poisonous ideology that is trying to get into the furthest corners, reach into the furthest corners of the United States of America unless we stop it. The Department of Homeland Security issued a terrorism warning to go into effect from now until almost the end of the year. And the DHS is warning that the terrorism is going to come perhaps from religious fanatics um, around the anniversary of 9-11, perhaps. But they're also warning, the Department of Homeland Security is also warning about terrorism from skeptics of government-mandated COVID-19 lockdowns and terrorism from people concerned about election fraud in the 2020 presidential election. Yeah, if your jaw dropped hearing that, so did mine. And my summary is not hyperbolic. This is what the Department of Homeland Security actually said. This is their own words, and I quote, the Secretary of Homeland Security has issued a new National Terrorism Advisory System bulletin regarding the current heightened threat environment across the United States. Through the remainder of 2021, racially or ethnically motivated violent extremists and anti-government, anti-authority violent extremists will remain a national threat priority for the United States. These extremists may seek to exploit the emergence of COVID-19 variants by viewing the potential reestablishment of public health restrictions across the United States as a rationale to conduct attacks. By the way, how do you like that for political narratives? How do you like that for a little flowery rhetoric? the potential reestablishment of public health restrictions. Yeah, there's called lockdowns, it's called government overreach. It's called government overreach. Pandemic-related stressors, the Department of Homeland Security says, have contributed to increased societal strains and tensions, driving several plots by domestic violent extremists, and they may contribute to more violence this year. Additionally, leading up to the anniversary of the 9-11 attacks, Al-Qaeda in the Arabian Peninsula recently released its first English-language copy of Inspire magazine in over four years, which demonstrates that foreign terrorist organizations continue efforts to inspire U.S.-based individuals susceptible to violent extremist influences. There are also continued nonspecific calls for violence on multiple online platforms associated with these ideologies or conspiracy theories on perceived election fraud and alleged reinstatement and responses to the anticipated restrictions relating to the increasing COVID cases. Can you just even process that. They just drop radical Islamist ideology, jihadi ideology in between. Oh, if you think that the election, if you think there was election fraud in 2020, or if you're against the mask mandates and the lockdowns, well, maybe you're going to commit terror. We're going to, we're going to have a lookout for you. This is so absolutely insane. They're essentially calling half the country potential domestic terrorists because they're warning about these people and these, these beliefs Beliefs about voter fraud and election fraud in the 2020 election are held by a large number of people because it's kind of inarguable that there was election fraud. It's just to the extent it happened. Um, But the left is trying to label half the country as terrorists. Meanwhile, it was the FBI who staged the attempted kidnapping of Governor Whitmer when she was locking down Michigan. Also, NBC reports that this terrorism advisory is, quote, not based on any actual threats or plots. Take a listen to this for yourself. DHS says this new terrorism advisory is not based on any actual threats or plots, but it says there's a rise in anti-government rhetoric. Some of it is opposition to COVID public health rules like mask and vaccine measures. Some calls for violent action are based on claims of election fraud or a belief that Donald Trump can be reinstated. 
And DHS says the coming 20th anniversary of the 9-11 attacks and religious holidays later this year could be catalysts for violence. The last terror advisory was issued in May. It expired today. This new one says domestic extremism remains a threat priority. Okay, then. So as you can see, I said this uh, a week or so ago. The Biden administration is literally trying to label anybody who disagrees with uh, their Democrat ideology, their progressive ideology, their radical leftist ideology as a danger, as a threat, as a domestic terrorist. And there you have it from the Department of Homeland Security. Meanwhile, two national security breaches that the Department of Homeland Security does not care about. The Hunter Biden laptop, laptop story. How salacious is that? I mean, this is, he admits in this sex tape that was leaked that uh, the Russians stole a third laptop of his and said that they're using it for blackmail. His father is president of the United States. How serious of a vulnerability and a national security threat is that? Also, remember that time Twitter and Facebook censored Hunter Biden laptop stories before the election because they claimed it was fake news? All the while, again, Hunter Biden admits in a sex tape that the Russians stole another laptop from him in 2018 for the express purpose of blackmail. Democrats don't seem to care about that. They also don't seem to care about this. Um, this is certainly a security threat. I spoke with independent journalist Andy No recently about the violence, the riots, the Antifa assaults that are still happening, believe it or not, in Portland, Oregon. Take a listen to this. I think because of that decentralized, non-hierarchical structure of Antifa groups, it makes it very, very hard to... Um, fundamentally challenge or even topple or or even like you can't even really arrest you know leaders or anything because it's done anonymously and done in a you can think of it like an army of ants essentially you know it's not like they're each doing their little role and you know taking a bite out little by little and so you know from an, one individual one rider here and there you don't kind of recognize how their whole networks and groups, how destructive they actually are when you give them time to work. And unfortunately, they've been given the time to work, to recruit and to organize. And, you know, things have calmed down across much of America, um, even in Portland, you know, the rioting's not every night anymore. But just wait, the next time we have another George Floyd video that comes out, all these um, the machine will start running again and you will see the same things that we saw in 2020. We had an absolutely fabulous conversation. We talked for uh, much longer than that. And I asked him about the roots of Antifa. You know, who's behind this? Who funds this? How do they work? How do we stop them? You can find the rest of that on Locals at LizWheelerShow.com slash Locals. I highly recommend you go look at it. It's, uh, like I said, a fascinating conversation. Um, I'd love to talk more about it, but the great and powerful Jay Hay says we are out of time for today. Much more coming your way tomorrow. In the meantime, think for yourself, use critical thought, reject critical theory, question authority, follow the facts, and don't let government or corporate wokeism or cultural Marxism or anybody bully you into being a sheep. If you haven't already, please, please, please subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts. It helps the show a great deal. Give us a five-star rating, write us a review. It helps us move up the charts on Apple, um, which means that more people will discover our show and hear reality. Thank you for listening today. Thank you for watching. I'm Liz Wheeler. This is The Liz Wheeler Show. The Liz Wheeler Show is produced by Jonathan Hay. Executive producer, Chad Abbott. Director of photography, Kevin McRoberts. Editor, Alejandro Figuerilla. Assistant editor, Michael Wall. Sound mixer, Robin Fenderson. Post-production manager, Victoria Metzl. Director of marketing, Emily Washler. Production and talent coordinator, Matt Toffler. And senior publicist, Patricia Jackson. This has been a Soundfront production.